gas them up. All right, so I want to say good night and, and hello to everyone on the Inquisitive Minds podcast. Um, and I want to start off this is our first episode or very very first episode and i want us to be able to say uh, a big thank you to shane wilson um and i want to introduce shane to the other hosts for tonight's podcast i have dj aaron 868 hey williams good night good night good night good night to everyone and of course we have the social stage himself mr ricardo mitchell I kind of like the fact that you introduced me with a new nickname before the, the, the government name. So, thank ah, you very yeah, much, Brendan. I remember, I remember. I take it. Right. And I want to say, you know, I wouldn't give too much of a bio because Shane's bio is very long. Um, Shane is an energy professional that works in the natural gas value chain um, for the NGC group. Um, uh, besides that, uh, being an energy professional, um, and having a background in renewable and sustainable energy, um, he manages the commercial sector for NGC with their downstream clients. And we thought as a first episode, he would be a fitting person to have a discussion a little bit around what is happening with the energy transition globally and what does that mean for us in Trinidad and Tobago. So to kind of kick things off, I just want to start off because of our approach in terms of um, being well-researched. Uh, what is happening, what we have happening right now is probably the largest reorganization of capital around non-traditional energy sources probably since World War II. Um, what we're seeing globally, um, COVID being used as the excuse, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, uh, what we have, to, what we're seeing happening is the reallocation of capital by the major organization, major countries, sorry, Europe, US, and others. And we are now exploring what will that mean for Trinidad and Tobago. Um, some of the announcements we have heard is that right now in Europe, they are looking at over $2 trillion as a recovery package. And $1 trillion out of that $2 trillion will be going into clean energy resources. The Biden administration that is going through right now, um, he's trying to become the next, the next president of the U.S. He has committed $2 trillion to be spent over the last four, in the next four years. And we have a number of countries that are, are contributing huge amounts of money, including the private sector, which we're going to get into. So what we're really going to be talking about today is where should Trinidad and Tobago be headed in regards to energy as we prepare for a post-COVID world. Now, post-COVID is a little bit of a misnomer because COVID would always be with us, uh, but we have to start thinking about what that energy industry landscape will look like. And we have asked Shane to come and just offer some perspectives. And it's important that we also recognize that Shane is also part of, right, so it's also important to recognize that Shane is also part of the youth government of Trinidad and Tobago, an organization that is doing a lot of advocacy work, which we will talk to him about in a little bit. Um, so Shane, we have a number of challenges in Trinidad and Tobago with the natural gas value chain. 
us being an oil and gas and a mostly gas economy. And uh, based on what we have been talking about, we've been seeing a number of changes happening globally. So the first question I wanted to ask about is based on what you have been seeing globally and looking at the challenges we have locally, what are some of the macro things that Trinidad and Tobago needs to start talking about? What does the mandate street need to, to visualize and see in regards to the changes that are happening so that he could now start and she could now start preparing themselves for that change? Well, first of all, I'd like to say thanks for um, allowing me to be part of your show tonight. Um, it's a pleasure to be your first guest as well, too. And, um, you know, I, I just like to say, um, uh, I'm glad to be part of the discussion. I just want to put a disclaimer out there that the, the views expresses of Shane Wilson are not NGC or any other entity that I'm affiliated <laughs> with. Yes, wow. <laughs> well said, well said. But, um, you know, mm. you, you bring up something there. Um, definitely the world is changing, um, especially the message about energy. And COVID-19 actually accelerated the the macro factors um show any need to change our approach to climate change because the energy transition is being fueled by the need of climate change which is ever present i mean we live in the caribbean and we see any kind of freak storms that we're getting um the increasing categories of hurricanes as well too and you know we, in terms of the exposure that we are in the in the, in the caribbean and latin american region we we produce I think it will be 11% of global emissions, but we, in terms of the damages, some of the damages have been over billions of dollars, you know, within the region, of course. Trinidad has always been blessed um, in terms of not being directly hit by a hurricane, but it's something that we have to consider because I think, you know, the world, the world is changing. And when we talk about energy, there, there's a focus on using cleaner sources of energy. Um, when you talk about reducing emissions, your carbon footprint, because, you know, the, the, the reality is climate change is happening. And um, obviously there are debates in terms of if greenhouse gases are playing a role, but the, the reality is it is moving at a more aggressive rate than, than it's happening, that it normally should happen, you know. And I think from from our point of view as a, as a gas economy, we, we have to be more mindful going ahead um, especially that we depend on a lot in terms of our forex from exports from LNG from our petrochemical sector which is like ammonia methanol we have to try to figure out how we can make our products more green because the markets and our consumers outside of China where we export to their mindset is changing in terms of looking at the full tier of, of carbon emissions you know the, within the oil and gas industry alone, there's a, a approach being taken about if it's three tiers or three scopes, where you look at your internal operations um, emissions, you look at the indirect emissions from um, the electricity that you may use or, or the fuels that you use uh, to run your operations indirectly. And then you also look at where your products go, what is the impact there basically? What is the impact in terms of when people use your products? What is their carbon footprint, you know? And it's about trying to green the industry. And I think in Trinidad, you know, to be honest, when you look at it from the world, Trinidad contributes if it's 0.001%. I could be wrong, but it's very insignificant compared to like other countries like the US, um, like China, like India in terms of GHG emissions. But 
we have to conform, especially if we're looking to export to these to the global economy. You know, we have to start looking to, to green ourselves and lowering our footprint, especially our industries. And I think that is what has to be considered. You know, COVID really showed that by affecting demand globally, it actually slowed down the demand for, for all oil products, gas products, etc., because everybody was kind of more inside. And it showed a, a, a drastic approach of everybody staying inside as well required to see any kind of change in climate change. Uh, a lot of the results, especially I think around March, April, you saw a significant decrease in GHG emissions. And that was when economies basically started to lock down. And I think going forward, you know, in, in terms of understanding how the role for climate change and trying to find the balance, because when you look at everything, you have to look at it at a holistic level. And is yes, climate change is there, which is the environmental aspect, but you also have the energy security aspect, the energy access aspect that you have to consider. And, you know, it's trying to, to find a, a balance in terms of how we could do it sustainably, how we could do it where, you know, now we, we consider, all right, we're doing something, there'll be repercussions, but how we can mitigate against those repercussions and make it sustainable, you know? And in Trinidad and Tobago right now, you know, we export oil, we export um, natural gas, we form LNG and our petrochemical products. And, you know, we, we have to find a way how we can actually lower the emissions throughout the value chain to produce these products, you know, because as I mentioned before, 77% of all forex right now comes from the exportation of these products. And if globally, I know in Europe, there's a drive to change the consensus where they'll start to actually source, start to understand throughout the value chain of where these products are coming from. What, in terms of the production, what it costs to produce these products? What, what is your footprint, carbon footprint? Or, um, GHG footprints of these products and you know it will come a point where unless we start to clean up our industry we will not be able to, to export or we we'll lose out on the premium that has been trying the premium that has been offered for greener products you know I mean go ahead I'll have, I'll, no sorry to cut you off there because there is an important point that I, I, I want I want the business to understand in, in the European Union, they have highlighted that they are very seriously considering a carbon border tax. Right? Uh, for our listeners, break that down for them so that they understand what could be the impact of a carbon border tax on our exports. And what does that mean to the economy? Because you brought up a very important point. Over 70% of our forex that comes into the country comes from these products that we sell. So to be able, if we have a, an additional tax that we have to pay, what could that really mean? Because if we have an additional tax to pay, then that ultimately mean less money for us to, to earn, um, definitely, in terms of forex. And it also mean that, you know, when countries are looking for, I guess, greener destinations where or, or countries that produce greener products, they will have a first preference as well, too. So in terms of market share you know is something that we also have to consider i mean globally there are a lot of countries focusing on on greening products and you know in in, in trinidad we have a, a world-class you know when you look at how the point Lisa's industrial estate was established um how libico and and um the whole estate developing library was established the lng trains were established and now um those things were established 
over 20 years now, you know, without the mindset of a carbon tax happening. Now we are at a stage in our industry where we have to look to reconfigure and reform and rejuvenate to become more resilient for the changing markets that we have been so accustomed to, you know. Uh, I think climate change is definitely the one that's fueling it. And it's no longer a debate if it's real anymore. It's it's more about we need to start doing things, you know, because the results are showing, if you watch any of the statistical reports, kind of monitoring greenhouse gas emissions, even though renewables had the highest penetration um, last year in terms of the global energy mix, which is looking at fossil fuels and non-fossil fuels, carbon emissions were still at an all-time high. And the reason for that is, we, we're entering another energy transition, but it has been more like an energy addition because as demand go up, yes, you're putting renewables, but you also still have to use your other sources of energy to kind of compensate. And the, the world is taking notice because uh, as you can see, especially in the oil and gas industry, you've seen the oil majors and all have started basically saying that, you know, they, they are committing to become net zero because they know that change is happening, it's coming. And we have to be prepared for that change as well too, you know. And a carbon tax is what will help the economics behind greening stuff, greening, greening your projects. You know, it will help with that because if your project's green, obviously carbon tax wouldn't affect it, but it'll help the models for understanding what's the opportunity cost of becoming green. And I think that is also something we have to consider as well too when factoring is a different way of, of thinking especially when I started working in the industry about eight years ago. It's a, it's a different way of thinking now. I mean, you used to hear about climate change, but it was like a, CS, a glorified CSR effort, you know, or greenwashing to say, hey, we're doing something that's good for the environment. But now you're actually seeing companies directing towards sustainability reporting, directing towards a whole reconfiguration about the language that we use to talk about when you talk about climate change, because this is what is an intergenerational problem. It is a global problem. And this is what, when I, I want to go back to looking at the holistic picture in terms of, you know, the message about energy, the message about energy and, and, and it's, it's being driven now by climate change ultimately, you know, and, and that is where the whole aspect of carbon taxing as, as one form. And then you have like, emission trading um, schemes as well too as another form. So there, there are other avenues that you can look at in terms of addressing um, or, or trying to make your areas more greener basically. But yeah, that, that, that is it in essence, you know? So there's a, so, lot, there's a lot to consider. Well, let me ask a question. Um, if, if Ricardo or myself goes to the bank, the bank will do a little bit of a credit profile on us to see if we really to be, if we could borrow money and wise our interest rates, right? So if I use it that analogy, um, if Trinidad and Tobago wants to go to the bank to borrow money for development, you think these things like carbon emissions and stuff will impact how we could borrow money as a country? I think yes, because there are funds being set up um, within the Caribbean region, Latin America and globally, that are especially there for people or countries looking to harness and develop their low, well, low carbon transition, basically, you know. So there, there are funds uh, being there. I mean, it, some of the famous banks in Europe as well, too, they have actually said that, you know, at a certain point um, within this decade, they, they will be 
stopping supporting or allowing support for fossil fuel projects, you know, and, and it's just show that the whole mindset is changing in terms of we need to do more for climate change and policy has to be there to, to enact it because one of the greatest um, issues with, I guess, policy and climate change and action is that the, the financial supporting mechanism. But as you, as you could see now, there, there's a change in terms of the amount of subsidies that are happening to incentivize renewables, the amount of countries setting targets, the amount of the industry itself is changing. You know, it, the, I read an article today which looks at the US stock exchange and they were talking about that between 2015 and 2019, in terms of the value of, of oil companies like ExxonMobil, um, Shell and BP, you know, there, there's been a serious drop on returns for investors and that's because of how oil markets are, yes, but then they're also in terms of the, the space is also changing in terms of it's no longer an oil and gas industry, it's more of an energy industry and it's more, it's branched off to a low carbon industry is trying to develop and then, and the low carbon is, is what is, low carbon is what is required to see us to a sustainable future, you know, and in some aspects the, the end result will be net zero. So it is moving from one theme to another theme right now, which which is what is happening globally. And to back to your point, in terms of going to banks now, they are looking for projects that support sustainability, especially within the energy sector, especially with renewables. I mean, traditional oil and gas projects on on a, on a long term life cycle still will have higher returns based on how the oil prices are but renewables offer something that companies can now protect themselves against which is that volatility on markets you know when you have a power purchase agreement let's say for a solar farm project you know for a 25 year period you have a guaranteed cash flow a guaranteed revenue stream that will come on board as opposed to if you have an oil and gas project which will be affected by oil prices globally which is what is happening and they, they are starting to see the value of that stable outlook that, that, could, that could assure investors that, you know, over a 25 year period, this is what is happening. You know, a lot of insurance and banks within the region are also investing in renewable projects. So they are aware of, of the benefits of renewable projects. I believe Republic Bank is one, um, Sashiko is another one within the region, you know, where they would actually take pension funds and put them in renewable projects because it, it is a more stable cash flow than opposed to, you know, putting it in an oil and gas portfolio with that, that's very volatile, you know? So I hope I answer your question in terms of- No, uh, you're definitely answering the question. Um, so, I, I mean, I, you're, you're talking some different concepts. I'll let one of them guys, I'm calling here with some questions. Yeah, I, Ricardo here. I, I have a bit of a, a conundrum to present to you. Yeah. Right. You, you're in energy. You do have some experience. You, you have a portfolio in the youth government of Trinidad and Tobago, if I remember correctly. Right, right, yeah. Right. Now, so you have a, a policy perspective and an industrial perspective. Correct. How does that, how, how with those combined perspectives, are you seeing a, a cultural difficulty in us as people to buy in and support these projects? Because plain talk, bad manners. The examples that you guys used in terms of the disruption to the industries were unique. The Point Lisa's plant, LNG, etc. So right. what we're looking at right now, considering the fact that we don't have much choice, right, and the positions that you are in, 
how plausible is it that culturally we prepared to make another disruption like that? So Trinidad has been unique in terms of we have the lowest energy prices probably or among the top three countries like in the Western Hemisphere with the lowest energy prices. When you look at electricity and to some extent fossil fuels, at least in the Caribbean, we definitely have the lowest when you're looking at heavy fuel oil. So, I mean, we have always had, we, well, at, at least for me and I know all of us, you know, we kind of enter the kind of age of the industry where we are accustomed to low energy prices, um, low, low, low energy prices, which we never look at like in terms of, all right, you know, when, you, when you're home in your house, sometimes it'll take off all the lights and that's because your electricity bill at the end of the month, you know, is, is, is of a certain level because, you know, we have low electricity rates in Trinidad. And we inherited it in terms of, is a, is a kind of, how I like to describe it, is like the low energy prices that we had over a, an abundant energy supply because in terms of Trinidad for like electricity, for fuel, we never had no issues. So that kind of encourage wasteful energy behaviors because we never understand, I guess, the true value of, of energy. I think it's only now where you're seeing a change in the industry and that's because offshore, especially, well, not us as consumers in the residential sector, but definitely within the industry, when you look at the downstream sector and the upstream sector and you talk about gas prices and why plants closing down, et cetera, is, is to show that the costs actually extract our resources are definitely going up. And that causes having a trickle-long effect now on industries that were built 20 years ago on cheap, on a, on a demand for cheap fossil fuels, basically. And, you know, the, the mindset is that, all right, so we have to transition. How are we going to transition? How are we going to change? And the reality is that we don't really have the infrastructure to change because simple things like a lot of people have been advocating for renewables to get on to our grid to kind of free up um, gas will be used for, for, let's say, power generation to probably go to petrochemical plants or LNG, for instance. And there's no active legislation that supports you to actually set up renewable systems at your house to go to, to tighten into the grid, to feed into TNTEC, to kind of supplement that loss of molecules that, that would have gone to power generation, you know. And it's simple infrastructures like that. Um, there's also that level in terms of you know, research and development, you know, I, I know a lot of people who have approached the Green Fund for projects, definitely for, uh, from a renewable standpoint. Mm -hmm. And in terms of actually getting funding, it has been an issue. It has been an issue in terms of for people who, who are trying to start up like renewable companies who want to look at other technologies as well too. There, there has been an issue in getting that access of funding because our market doesn't support it because even though our resource situation is changing in terms of it's becoming more costly to get um, resources from offshore to onshore to, to downstream. We still, are, as the consumer, aren't really feeling the effect. We haven't felt the effects of yet because electricity rates in Trinidad, when last rates were raised in Trinidad for electricity? Early 2000s. <laughs> you see? And, and, and I mean, we, we all know that TNTEC, and the gas that TNTEC uses is, is subsidized from NGC. And there's a whole issue in terms of they aren't paying NGC for the gas that they use to create power generation. So therefore, indirectly, power generation is being subsidized. 
Hmm. And you know, it's something that if prices raise, is it will be a trickle down effect to consumers. And we're still not feeling, we haven't felt that as yet. And that is something that has to happen soon because it, the, the model right now isn't sustainable in terms of how we generate power. And you know, it's not just power generation, but even um, within our manufacturing sector, you know, one of the things that, that, that has been discussed in the, in the public domain is definitely the cost for energy in the manufacturing sector and raising that cost as well too. And it's something that in the Caribbean, we have the lowest rates for, 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 for energy, basically. And when you look at it over time, in terms of it being a competitive advantage, if these rates were to go up for energy, obviously the products of our nation will also go up. And that will also be a cost that will eventually be trickled on to consumers as well, too. But in reality, when last like bears went up, I mean, right. so it, it's something that, that, that it's there, but unless, and, and this is something uh, like in the sector, to be honest, I would say from 2015 is when the sector really started to get life because I'll be honest with you, you know, I, I have been working in NGC for, I started there in 2010 in the sector. And you know, it, it was only um, in 2015 is when I started to see the sector in a different light, you know? And that's because I, I actually went away and studied and it changed my mindset in terms of how we look at things, looking at it long term. And that is what I think is, is, is a problem that we have to address within our country because right now as it is, the current situation works, but can we really handle this for the next 20 to 25 years? Who is going to answer? Because in, in a subsidized system, somebody has to pay the cost, you know. And I, I mean, let's be honest. Like, we are we are aware that NGC currently, whatever gas is used for power generation isn't being paid. But then, remember, NGC now granted that you know they would have made a lot of money at a certain point in time based on on their um, revenue stream. But with with the effect of low oil prices, low gas prices, low petrochemical prices, low LNG prices, obviously their ability to, to take hits now would definitely be affected. And, you know, in the past, they probably would have been able to absorb that subsidy for power generation. But going forward, over the next 20 years, can we really ask them to do that? And it's not just NGC alone, but I think in, with the whole petrotrain and, and the breaking up of petrotrain, et cetera, you know, one of the things that, that affected petroleum was that whole subsidy system as well, too. When you look at for fuels, for liquid fuels, especially in the domestic market, there were a lot of companies that were owing petroleum. And the same thing with Wasser, too. So it's not to say I just pinpointed NGC, but there is a there is a, a pattern going on. And I mean, I can understand that, you know, in our country, nobody wants to see prices go up. I mean, that that is understandable. But I think if you take too long, you know, the government will have to take an aggressive approach and that might rub, you know, your, your, your citizens the wrong way. I think to me, the approach should be a stepwise approach. You have to educate them definitely to let them know that this is something that long term, you want to ensure that everybody will be able to enjoy what, what we have been enjoying basically, you know? So I, it's just my point of view in terms of, of some of the, um, the, the issues that we have out there in terms of, of, of understanding and, and really trying to change because the, the mindset again too, I mean, a lot of us grew up in our age as well too. And this is from my personal experience, you know, where you were taught to like kind of go to school and you told to go to school, get a job within the industry. And it was kind of like, all right, well after that, you know, you should be set for life. But the, the industry has evolved 
it has changed. And we're, we're entering a period now where we need people to actually start and, and, and rejuvenate and recreate new industries to develop new, to stimulate the economy as well to new products. And the question is, where are we going to find these people if we don't have the experience of people building industries, you know, and, and changing things? Well, I hope they're not listening to inquisitive minds so that they well, realize there's an opportunity. No, I know I've been a, I know I've been pretty quiet for the majority of tonight's program, but Shane, you kept using that S word there that's very close to my heart. <laughs> right? Oh boy, I was going to say something. You know that, that, that S word, that S word subsidy. You know, I fondly say that Trinidad and Tobago's watchwords are discipline, tolerance, production, and subsidies. Right mm-hmm. now. Why is it so difficult for us as the average person to understand what a subsidy is? And why is it that that subsidy is a drain on the national purse? And sorry, yeah, you're going to have to say this. A subsidy doesn't benefit poor people. Sorry, I, I just had to say that. Go, go, <laughs> Thank go you ahead. very much. <laughs> right. Thank, Thank you very much. much. So, you know, subsidies have been there to kind of incentivize. It's always been there to incentivize. And, you know, initially, I believe the subsidy of low energy prices was definitely to, it was a, it was a growth strategy, really, especially for attracting, like, foreign investment to come into our country and develop industries. And, you know, the problem with subsidies is I, I, there should be a timeline for subsidies because then it, then it become a, a bad habit after a while, to be honest. And, and I think that is where it's happened now because... You know, our resources, you can see it in terms of the amount of money we make and the amount of money that's being spent on subsidies has been growing, but the actual money to, to supplement the payment for subsidies has been somewhat, you know, not growing as it should. And, and I think that there's where you should have a kind of balance in terms of understanding, you know, if we could support a subsidy or if, if not, because... In long story is that the long story short I mean is that you know you're trying to push sustainability, but you can't push sustainability if you're subsidizing low energy prices. That can't work. It, it wouldn't work long term. I mean, simple thing. If you want to do, if you want to encourage people to become more energy efficient, there's a level of money you have to spend obviously to become more energy efficient. But if, if electricity is always subsidized, why am I focusing on becoming energy efficient? What, what is the benefit for me? I mean, you can see it. I mean, there, there's an app out there called Energy Smart TT where you can work it out. And you know, it, it shows you that you may change about 10 light bulbs in your house and at the end of the month in my comp to just save, at the end of two months in my comp to just save $15. And because, and I just try to figure out, they just put things in perspective, but that's because you know, we, we have inherited a system that was always a legacy system that has always been based on cheap fossil fuels, you know, that, that support our bad behaviors. But going forward, and you have to ask yourself over the next 15 to 20 years, when revenues shrinks um, for, the, for the country and for the, for the treasury to actually pay off these, because remember, the energy in particular is being supplied by somebody and they obviously will have to get paid. And the question is, can, 
can we continue to, for things to go along this way? Or is it that we should just realize that our situation as a country has changed, which a lot of countries have done globally. And, you know, we have to adjust, especially if you want to look at it long term. Because if we mightn't feel it, but then our children might be the ones who might actually feel it now. And that, that is something that we have to look at long term when you're looking at the, the subsidy debate. And I honestly believe if we're in a position to subsidize based on some scale or mechanism, let's say if revenues are a certain percentage from, from the government in a particular year, well, then we could look at subsidies. But I think right now what we should be subsidizing is really helping new industries to come on in terms of subsidizing markets because actually removing subsidies now is what will kind of drive behaviors to start to think differently. I think you see it in transport, you know, the, the fuel subsidy has been removed ever so often, especially within the last five years, you know, mm -hmm. and you, you have actually seen people started to buy hybrids vehicles. You have seen them start to buy electric vehicles. You have seen CNG, basically come back in the fool again. And the reason is it's, it's actually starting to hurt your pocket in terms of the amount of money you're spending on fuel. Because I remember when, when the subsidy changed, if I used to spend, let's say, 600 a week, that went up to literally 1,000 a week, basically, you know, in my fuel right. bill. And it's something that will make it a force you to change your behavior and look at things differently. So, so in essence, the price is a signal to, to, the, to the, the consumer. Price is what will ultimately force that, that change in our consumer mindset. Obviously, there are there's the, those that always care about the environment. But when you're talking about price, price is what I think does affect everybody. <laughs> everybody will look at price. And, and, and the thing about fuel, fuel is something essential, especially if you have a vehicle, you know. And will Trinidad and Tobago, I believe we have a population of 1.3 million people. And there are roughly 900 and something thousand vehicles on the road. So oh. you, you, so they have practically 900 and something thousand people, you could say, being affected at, in some way when, when fuel prices went up, you know. So and I think with electricity, it'll be a similar thing. You know, once electricity prices go up, you will see people starting to look at solar, wind, even energy efficient products as well, too. And... Um, and that now will spur new industries to be developed. You know, you would see new companies being started up. And, and that is something that has happened in Europe, in the States as well, too, in terms of because those, and that is where the government should really be looking at, you know, to try and spur those industries locally. I think that is something that, that could create, like, jobs because, like, for something like energy efficiency, for instance, you know, when you're looking at that, you're looking at energy audits, you're looking at retrofitting buildings, it's a labor-intensive process, and it's something that, that could help create and stimulate jobs and, and new skills as well, too, because energy efficiency is something globally that, that is, there's a high demand for, you know, and it's something that any debate about climate change and addressing climate change, NGC, had, oh, I'm sorry, I mean NGC, <laughs> energy efficiency will, will have to be a first pillar because it doesn't make sense that you integrate renewables in a system and you're not energy efficient. It's to, yeah, it's to have those wasteful behaviors. So I just um, I hope I answered the question there, Aaron. No, that's perfect. You did, you did, you did. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Um, so one of the things uh, we 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 want to close up a little bit now, but 
Um, any last questions that will maybe a perspective and give me a perspective. So we, we talked about, could we continue like this? And it's, it's a definite no, we can't continue like this. But um, you know, there's always a political challenge in asking people to give a little bit more. Um, and, and maybe there's some room there where we could look at, um, we can look at solar um, at the homes and at business places. But uh, do you think there's a cultural um, barrier there? Um, looking at very quickly, if we could look at solar and, and, the, and have it uh, democratizing energy generation for each individual, you think there's a challenge there, knowing that energy um, is something that the government provides? Oh, oh yeah, so so basically, you know, um, Trinidad is at a space where definitely the culture is changing around um, solar and, and looking at renewable energy on the whole, you know, um, a simple example to look at it or reference the amount of people selling solar products in Trinidad and Tobago right now, you know, there there's a growing market there. Um, definitely companies offering solar installations as well too. And there there is um, a need in terms of and understanding that we will eventually get to that point where solar will be part of our energy mix in a big way. I think the recent um, expression of interest and in award to BP and Shell for their utility scale project is a big milestone. I believe it'll be the largest project in the Caribbean. So that is, um, that is also, and it's totally powered by solar. And you know, in terms of the EU, the European Union, they recently had a, a expression of interest looking at sites to set up um, solar installations, which would be another drive for, for highlighting the power of the technology as well as, you know, for, to educate our culture, the educated people of Trinidad and Tobago and the citizens more about solar because, I mean, we are blessed in the Caribbean to have so much sunlight and, you know, it, it's time for us to start to use that resource, to use that resource and understand how we could be more sustainable with our energy and to free up our molecules to go into higher revenue streams, whether it be in, in, in the petrochemical sector or or in LNG markets. So I think it's, it's, it's a very, um, the change is happening, you know, and, and one of the aspects as well too, to look at it from an educational standpoint, there are a lot more renewable energy programs or programs talking to that as well too. In Trinidad, you know, UTT has a program, UE, uh, SBCS, um, Lockjack, and, you know, they offer different aspects as well, too, in terms of um, the, the sector, the renewable sector. So I'm, I'm very optimistic in terms of, you know, uh, the adaptation for the culture, because at a point, you know, when you have a lot of graduates coming out of school and becoming more educated with, with, with renewable energy and sustainable energy and practices, there's going to be a, a disruptive market that will develop because they will start to look at it hey, it's time for us to change things in Trinidad and and you know you will be seeing changes I think within the next five years um definitely feeling tariff policy is something that's up for debate granted it, it's been in, I think waiting for like 10 years but you know there, there are a lot of people optimistic that that will eventually come on stream because rooftop solar will play a critical role going forward as well too for for providing energy and feeding into the grid as well too so I think we, we could look out definitely for more of that, you know, um, in terms of not only solar being looked at in Trina, but I'm kind of glad to see that, you know, other technologies are being looked at. So there's definitely the Waste Energy Project, um, the Ministry of Energy is trying to push. And there's also hydrogen, you know, hydrogen is another avenue that, that, that's been looked at um, in terms of 
supplying hydrogen directly to a petrochemical plant. And it's something that could revolutionize and create something called the hydrogen economy. So we, we have a lot to look forward to, you know, because it, it, it'll help with that whole process of greening our products because normally what ammonia plants do, they'll take natural gas and extract the hydrogen from that natural gas. And now instead of using fossil fuels as feedstock, you can actually use hydrogen as feedstock, which, which will be making your process a lot more greener because hydrogen has no no emissions, you know, and Trinidad is not the only place looking at, at, at developing hydrogen in a big way. Right now it's a buzzword within the industry. Um, so if you look at Europe, you look at Japan, you look at Australia, you look at the US, a lot of people are putting a hedging bets that hydrogen will be as big, especially as a supplemental fuel for natural gas and eventually overtake natural gas, especially if you're looking at that net zero pathway, which is, which is zero emissions from your operation. So, I think it is interesting times that we're in, um, you know, and it's a feedstock that could eventually not only be for the petrochemical sector, but you can look at it for power generation as well too, and even for transportation fuel. And the nice part about hydrogen is, um, at least for the project in Trinidad, it's, it's to create green hydrogen. So you'll be utilizing solar energy um, through a process called electrolysis to generate hydrogen, which is something that, again, it will be one of the first projects that I believe in within our region and it's something to look forward to because if that pilot project, which I believe should be executed in 2022, grows, then we, we could be seeing another evolution of industry happening, you know, another another wave of potential given the amount of um, ammonia and methanol plants that we have in our downstream estate. So, so you're yeah, saying I'm, that hydrogen could fit in, fit in like a Lego block into our current industrial profile? Correct, yes. Hydrogen, hydrogen has the possibility to even to green it and, and, and really make us a premier destination. I mean, we already have the infrastructure in terms of plan set up and, you know, is understanding how we can generate our hydrogen and, and make it sustainable for their operations. But we already have the plans to produce the products and we just need that feedstock to make it more yeah. green. So, you know, I think... I'm very happy that we ended on, on that positive note there because um, because even though we talk about some significant challenges, there are opportunities for us to pivot. And it's just about recognizing those pivot opportunities and really implementing things that aligns where we, are, where we already are and where we have experience. And yeah. Excellent. And, you know, I, I like to close off, you know, I, I also do work with an NGO organization and there's a need to, to educate and to to bring awareness and, and and knowledge for the industry because I think advocacy has been there um, for the last five years. You know, if you if you go online and you type in energy efficiency or renewables, you will see from ministers to companies talking about it. But I think the action aspect is something that is missing. And in my opinion, you know, with, with through that NGO, we're trying to find out how young professionals could be a little more influential within the industry to really force the action because when you look at it in terms of um in in 2050 we will still be working you know i will still be working god spare life and you know i want to be i want to make sure that i was able to have a, a say in how my energy future would look you know and i think that's what we are look at the long-term effects you know and, and trying to ensure that we have that sustainability excellent excellent Shane, I want to use this opportunity here to say thank you for answering the questions and you know, providing a, a, a broad oversight, but still being able to narrow it down.
to understand where we are in Trinidad today, where we've got the changes that are happening and what we need to do to get ready. Um, you know, the name of the podcast is Inquisitive Minds and it's really about trying to relate these conversations and make it accessible for everybody so that anybody could feel like they could join in and have these level of conversations and understand the changes that are happening around them. Um, and is ready to take that triple R approach where we, 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 have the, we do the research, um, we ask the rebellious questions, but we also are relatable into our content. So thanks a lot for your input and really thank you for taking the time to have this chat with us. And I'll, I'll leave my other um, colleagues to, to offer their salutations as well. I am thoroughly impressed, Brendan, because you, you bring a crack shot. You bring a crack shot to start this thing rolling. I am very impressed that this is the type of mind that our future is, is, is going to rely on. You know, somebody who's in a position to affect change and who has intentions of doing so uh, from in front. You know, you're not waiting until things reach where they have to go. You pivot from in front, you have a better position, better balance. So Shane, thank you very much, sir. A little, um, a little intimidated by the fact that you're saying 30 years will still be working eh? because I now realize this young boy thing going on in the corner here. <laughs> Thanks a lot for coming in. Um, you know, I, I, I will tell you, I am much more inquisitive now than I was at the beginning. So thank you for that. Thank you for feeding my interest in the field. Well, they leave me for last. And they said everything they had to say before. So the most I could say is thank you for giving your time to us, Shane. You know, the information which you put out today was very well received. And I, I and trust that the listeners have learned something. And they are prepared now to ask the rebellious questions. And that's something I like to do. Ask the rebellious questions. So guys, that's it there. Hey. Yes. Most importantly, hey, so, um, the subsidies. You need to, you need to get rid of that. Subsidies, we spoil. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure, you know. And anytime you're ready, you know, I'm always willing to come back on the show because, you know, I, I believe we as, as as young people have to be more educated about what's out there, and we have to have a better see, you know, in our in policies that will affect us long term, you know. Um, I mean, we, we, we march when, when, it's, when it's Black Lives Matter, but I think um, we should be marching for other topics and other issues as well, too, you know, especially relating to the environment and energy choices. And I, I like to see that as well, too, you know. So I, I'm glad to be part of the show, and I hope we reach some minds and be uh, impactful because that's what I try to do, try to be impactful as possible. All issues matter. Definitely appreciate your, your putting the individual, taking the individual responsibility to try and affect change. So, appreciate it. Yeah. That's all. Awesome. All right, guys. Brendan. All right. Yeah, man. Just now. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. What's going on? I want to ask him to recommend a book, Aaron. Recommend what? A book. Something I could do a little reading or a or a site somewhere I could get a little information in the arena. Oh, oh okay. Sorry, sir. Go ahead. <laughs> So, like, um, in terms of energy, you know, normally I will read, um, sometimes I'll read, it depends, like, if it's, if it's globally, you know, sometimes McKinsey will produce some reports on, on the sector that, that's kind of eye-opening in terms of, like, the oil and gas industry. 
you know, um, the Financial Times as well too, in terms of articles that you will get, um, in, in terms of the oil and gas, Financial Times, Wall Street Journal, Business Intelligence, you know, um, the Petroleum Economist, the Normal Economist as well too. So, you know, there, there, there are a lot of resources out there in, in terms of information that you can get that, that reflects current state and where things are going in the energy sector. Locally, they, um, you can look at country reports as well too. So like um, NGC has a Gasco magazine, um, the Energy Chamber as well too, they also have a magazine. And you know, you, so you could get an idea of how things are locally within our sector as well too, which is, which is good as well too. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, no problem, no problem. Hey, Brendan, thanks for having us, bro. Hey, thanks again, boy. Um, thanks again. Now, 